Hello and welcome animation fans to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and joining me once again is the one, the only, Rick Arroyo. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. No one, thanks for that intro. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Got it, man. I noticed that on the last couple podcasts, I might said your last name, and I want people to get your last name because you're one of our instructors here, and maybe they can take you for the games class here. Yeah. Um, we've got a great guest tonight here, Brett Pascal, who's also one of our instructors, um, who's currently working over EA. His title, Rick? As technical animation director at EA. I mean, he has a, a great role. He's working on the Frostbite engine, so it's it's pretty awesome, i got to say. Cool. We'll have to talk with him about that. And also, just a big thank you to all of our past guests. Uh, we've been doing this just over a year now, and I'm uh, getting ready to wrap up another year here. And it's been really cool having all these great guests. So big thank you to our past guests, and thank you to those who listen to us. I mean, this is why we do it. So big thank you. Yeah, thanks, and Happy New Year's to everyone. Yeah, this will be our last podcast for 2013, so we'll, we'll go out with a bang here. All right, well, let's pull him on. First off, Brett, thank you very much for joining us. We know that um, yeah. our guests have a life of families, friends, and uh, so we always really do appreciate you guys taking some time out to, to join us. No, that's great, man. Thanks for having me on. Okay, my candid first question here, because I'm always curious about the person behind the animation here. How'd you get into animation? Uh, yeah, that, mine's kind of a weird bit of a longer story. I was always somebody who drew a lot as a kid, uh, watched tons and tons of cartoons. So I would say if there was a seed planted, it was definitely, um, you know, like the Chuck Jones and the and the Looney Tunes stuff that I used to watch so much. Uh, but in school, I never really kind of took a beeline towards art or towards animation or anything like that. I kind of... Um, Finished school, didn't really have a plan, took a whole bunch of different jobs, doing a whole bunch of different things from like driving power jacks and stocking shelves and waiting tables and renting cars and then selling cars. And uh, it was like one of those days where I'm working and it's it's, it's real boring. Nobody's coming into the dealership. And uh, I got a call from my mom, actually, who had found an article about a school that was teaching animation. She's like, hey, you know, you draw all the time you know just one of those type of things like you draw all the time you should look into it right and and um you know i was looking around at that point i started looking at a whole bunch of different schools um and got a bunch of rejection letters and then finally this one came along and they took me in so that's cool was that it was called applied multimedia hmm. um yeah they had like a foundation course and then and then at the time they were just like it was like their first run of uh, like a 3D animation dedicated course. So, how far that did that get it. you in your animation career? Enough to get a to get a job, or is that something you still have to had to practice afterwards? Or how did that work? Yeah, no, it, it didn't really get me too far at all because uh, it was it was like ramping up on you know more in depth computer use aside from just like basically turning one on and you know not really, not not <laughs> a real super technical background in computers, right? So. There was a lot of learning, and there were some really cool people uh, that I was lucky enough to be in class with who were supportive, sharing, and the kind of people who helped me kind of get along to a point where um, I got it, at least enough of that hunger. I mean, it was so clear, right? I mean, from having all these little, like, the good thing about having all these, like, different jobs was that it was painfully clear that there really wasn't anything else as interesting that was possible. Mm. And for me, it was like, well, that that was the thing I started chasing. So after that, yeah, lots of practice. Um, one, you know, buddy of mine from class there, uh, he was kind of a really good line for me because he found a he found a couple of other things 
you know, when we finished uh, that class, that was when Maya One launched. Oh, wow. So it was sort of, it was ill-timed, right? Like, we, <laughs> we're working on Power Animator 8.5 and, you know, <laughs> trying to cram these demo reels together. And it's like, oh, this uh, little piece of software called Maya is coming along. And it was like, oh. Like we just, you know, would have been a great time to start, but yeah, we managed to get into a Maya class together after that. So just kind of, it was a few stepping stones after that before anything really happened. So what was your first gigs? Uh, yeah. So my first gig, um, well, I mean, I got a TA gig, so I basically finished that class, um, kind of moved out to BC here, Vancouver to, uh, take this class in Maya and then. When that was done, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And it just so happened that the same school I went to uh, was looking for a TA. So I ended up hopping back to Calgary, which is where I started in uh, taking that TA job. But like an animation job, um, there was a studio in Vancouver. I moved back to go on EI. And while I was on EI, a studio started and they were trying to make a TV pilot. And uh, EI being employment insurance for those not in Canada. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they took me on, but they took me on because I offered to work for free. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> it was pretty easy, right? <laughs> you promised to work for experience, huh? Uh, more or less, yeah. At that point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to need something here because EI is kind of drawn to a close and uh, we need to like we need to catch on at some point here. Hmm. So, so, yeah. so your first gig gig was as a teacher's assistant, which is kind of interesting for those that don't know. Uh, Brett actually teaches here at iAnimate, our uh, Games Workshop 3. So even right out the gates, you were already doing teaching, huh? Yeah, it was it was funny because uh, it was super beneficial at the time. It was just like I had a pretty much twenty four seven line into the to the. I mean, because you know back then it was like O two machines and the software was crazy expensive. The machines were ridiculously expensive, so the access alone was worth taking the job. Mm. Uh, but getting in there. The, you know, for me, the, the, the cool thing was I could show a few people some of the things that I had picked up because most of these people, especially in Calgary, just had no idea. Like they might have been computer literate, in, you know, more so than me. But when it came down to the software, I was able to help a little bit offer ways around some of the problems they were hitting and just made good connections with those people, which was which was huge. Like I'm a huge believer in that, like relationship uh, that you have with everybody that you encounter. So in that sense, it was great. Mm. I had to watch your, I checked out your bio, of course, before the podcast here, and as well as checked out your demo reel. And I got to say, we, we've had um, a podcast with Cameron Fielding where you're familiar with him, right? I certainly am. Yeah. <laughs> but your Turok animation, man, I got to tell you, that is some killer, killer work. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's, that was the, that punched my ticket, really. I mean, to that point, everything was just like, trying to get over an edge, try to get over an edge, you know, and, and, and like pushing super hard. And I remember when we saw cams reel, it was like, dude, this guy's incredible. Like I couldn't believe I was in the position to hide, like to, you know, not make the final hiring decision, but like, you know, be in a room where we're like, should we hire cam? Uh, you know, I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, after he got in there, man, like there, I remember so clearly there was, we used to do a dailies thing. We had like this web-based dailies, which was super cool where, you know, every day you would, uh, you could submit like a, an AVI or a, or an image or whatever it is of the stuff that you had been working on that day. And so obviously for animators, we'd always kick in our play bless and the next morning we would, we would meet for dailies and we would just pull all these videos up from the, 
from the web uh, daily system. And I remember seeing his first video and was like, holy cow, like, what did he do? He must have done something. Like, he had this tail moving in a way. I'm like, there's no way he had time to do that yesterday. <laughs> Turns out he's also a scripter. So it was like, oh, okay. Cow. Yeah, his mail skills were sharp. So, I mean, we, we sat in the same pod, like the same room. And I just, you know, tried to take advantage of every bit of feedback that Cam could give me. And clearly it, uh, uh, on those sequences, there's, uh, there's a lot of that in there. Ah, nice. Yeah, it was just some, you got some killer work on that. And then one of the things I mentioned about his work that I got to mention about yours is just, it felt very aggressive and, and natural in that response. So that's why I just really enjoyed watching it here. Um, you know, we got to talk with him a little bit on how he approaches some of the creature animation. Can you give a little bit of an insight on your kind of workflow and how you address some of the creature stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, first, thanks. Cause yeah, that would, that was, uh, that that's that was like the best time in terms of just raw animation in my career and yeah when we used to do that stuff i mean really uh the biggest thing was was reference like by far you know the amount of time we logged and the support we got too from the studio was pretty incredible at the time i mean you know padding dummies prop weapons um cameras like whatever we needed to establish ourselves a sort of it wasn't really like a room for video reference, but we, we had tons of places we could do it, tons of resources to do it. And we just shot, shot tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um, so for me, that was, that was really the, the big thing was like, um, and something that Cam, I think really helped a lot for, for me was to be able to analyze that reference and, and bring it back to something that you can use uh, without it having to be totally literal, right? Like without rotoing it, like, mm -hmm. but just trying to catch like the essence of the main poses that you needed in there. Um, and for me, when I would get, you know, pretty happy with a, with a set of reference, sometimes it would be some sketches, some really like scratchy kind of thumbnails and, and a few good clips that had some really key places where there was really good interaction or, or intensity. And then, you know, going in the package, you know, jumping into Maya, it would be just like bang out all those keys on, uh, on fives or whatever. And then, you know, kind of get that whole creative process out before you start looking at timing and all that kind of, mm. all that kind of stuff. You know, I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember which animator it was, but he was talking about how um, even in 2D, like he would just scribble all the key poses, like, and not really worry about keeping on model and not really worrying about anything that was like technical at all. I thought that was cool. And I thought that was something that is super applicable to 3D yeah. to CG as well, right? That's how Jason, from his demos, that's, I mean, obviously uses video reference, but one of the things that he first jumps into is sketching it out in 2D, and he feels like, hey, I can just get that creative juices flowing there first. I don't have to worry about keeping on model or anything, just getting the ideas out there. Yeah, I think that's powerful, right? Because you get, you get all that stuff. It's like, it's like when you have, like, if there's, like, a topic that you just feel so strongly about, and you, you could, like, run off points, you know, supporting some particular viewpoint or something you're thinking about, and it's like, if you had to stop for five minutes after each thing you said, like you'd maybe forget some of those things or something. Mm. I don't know. It, it felt yeah, like it, point. Maybe it's like a, it's like a flow of, of uh, information that kind of needs to be let go. And yeah, totally. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. So now you have the interaction with the creatures and the humans here. So obviously you're able to do a lot of video for the, the humans, but what did you do for the creatures? Yeah, for creatures, I mean, sometimes we, you know, it's, I know it's like kind of cliche or whatever, but we would sometimes act it out. Like there was a couple of T-Rex moves where I would just kind of act like a T-Rex, record some footage and then like time scale it mm -hmm. or something just to try to give it a feel like 
that maybe was better for a creature of such mass or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, um, that was that was mostly sketches and you know sketches that were rough. I've always like been a real big fan of super sketchy, rough art, like not finished rendered work. And so uh, for me, it was really easy to draw like kind of a fluid line of action and just kind of build off of that thing and just kind of shape it out. And then what about with the interaction? How do you address, uh, for lack of a better term, two character interaction with the uh, human and the the creature? Do you pose out one full blocked it out one and then play it off for the second one? Or do you kind of work them together? How does that work for your workflow? Yeah, that's sort of evolved a bit. I think that's where, because now I've, I've, I find myself using a lot more of a straight ahead kind of approach to doing stuff. And I think that's where it came from. Because when I first started trying to animate both together, my director was always like, no, nah, there's no tension. There's no tension. You got to fix, you know, there's not enough tension. It's not going to work. Like, and just pushing the idea that like, uh, so from like a high level perspective was like pushing each pose till it seemed like if the other character wasn't there, the guy would just fall mm. or the creature would fall. Like there's such a commitment to the, to the action that like, there's no thought about like, Oh, am I balanced? It's like, no, I'm trying to take you down. I'm trying, or I'm trying to hold you off as best I can or, or kill you myself in this case. And when you, whenever you're in a position like that, the last thing you're thinking about is anything other than just like the immediate win or lose situation. So that was what fueled the poses. But then the way I would kind of break it out was like, well, who's leading the action at this moment, right? So if, if it's like the creature leaping at, at you know, the player or, the, or whatever character, then I would, I would start by laying out their poses and try to make the poses for the secondary character in reaction to that so that they weren't, so that even in blocking, they weren't hitting poses at the same time. Because I found it really hard to tell whether or not it was working that way. And I, I would find that sometimes I would pose out both of them together. When I went back to adjust the timing, I had sort of lost the essence of the pose mm. because I was just moving things rather than actually like posing them based on something that they can't predict, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, so it might shift, right? So the, the creature might attack him, but then he starts getting back. And then he starts, you know, the player starts to lead the action a little bit. It was just the idea that like that old thing of like key the whole character and then like drag the arm a couple frames later and drag the you know, a leg a couple frames later and offset the hips by a few frames, like it might make it the motion feel less blocky, but it ruins the essence of the pose. Mm-hmm. So I want to really quickly say something like when I do the two character interaction, I call it a driver and driven. One character is driving the scene and another one's being driven. And mm-hmm. I and, and and I find it um, instead of looking at a whole scene, I look at moments at one moment. The main character is driving character B. And then when I'm keen and, you know, maybe he reacts to something and then the, the table turns, then character B might be the driver. So I go back and forth with um, keen those moments. I don't necessarily, like, look for the key poses. I'm keen moments in the scene. I key on ones. Most of the time I key on ones. You could key on fives. It doesn't really matter. I just like to focus on the moments and, and that, that picture. Um, do you – is that how you kind of see it as well when you say, like, you know, you're – you're trying to, you know, get the essence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like the, you're saying, yeah, pretty much exactly what I feel as well. I agree with that. Like, and and the biggest problem is when you don't do it, like when that driver driven relationship, like the contacts are wrong. Like, you know, when a guy gets punched, like if you just simplify it down to like a basic action, like a punch, like when that punch lands on the jaw, the jaw starts moving, then the head starts moving and everything reacts like in, in sequence after that initial blow. And, the worst thing that can happen 
it, to, to ruin the impact of a strike or an attack is to have reaction before the action. You know what I mean? So that's why I think it's so like, if you're going to animate that punch, animate that punch like it's, like it's being thrown with like everything the guy's got. You go back, you find the place where that connection is going to be, you pose that second character, and then you adjust that hand to, to meet it so that that, con- like, that head does not move at all until the punch lands. And then that, the tightness of impact is, is so legible. But it's exactly that. It's like you're trying to you're not thinking about when you start separating it into the 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 leader and the follower, the driver and the driven, you start to get an essence of an action and the poses become secondary to that rather than, hey, look, this pose looks kind of great. Now I'll drag it apart or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Making it feel more organic rather than just planned out. Yeah, that's really the key to it. I mean. Otherwise, you know, you don't get the tension and the, and the lack of balance, which is so key to those those uh, those moments. I'm gonna transition a little bit here to uh, Pixel Pixel Challenge. You uh, spoke at that one here a little bit ago, and we're, it was able to kind of show some of your Turok stuff, but more for the camera work. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get picked for that lecture or that masterclass? Well, you know, cameras are are something like I get super passionate about cameras because. It seems like every animator starts, and I'm no different, right? Where they, you know, they're going to do a dialogue sequence, so they put a camera where you see all three characters talking, and there's, it's really not entertaining, <laughs> and it, and it's also hard to animate to, and you, there's no subtlety, and there's, you know, there's just a lack of, 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 uh, of overall entertainment value, and uh, so one of the guys that I had worked with, the, my director at. Uh, propaganda when I came in was this guy by the name of Mike Ferraro and he was the guy that really started me down the road of like trying to understand what a camera is and he was he was such a no-nonsense type of dude he was just like like how does a real camera work it's like oh yeah good point and I find that with most animators they don't maybe necessarily understand how a real camera works Mm. so um, when the opportunity came to do a talk there me and Rick were talking about it and you know uh, they were kind enough to extend a an invitation to, to bring something to that table. And, and I said, you know, I think if you guys are, are agreeable to it, you know, I think cameras is something that um, is not only interesting, but something that is something that I started out horrible at and kind of grew at. And that, I think that's, um, I think there's a really cool message in any sort of topic or, or um, tip or trick or, or way of doing things that comes from somebody who's, gone through a pretty steep learning curve of their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I thought it would be really an interesting topic. Yeah, I, it was a great lecture. I really thought it was neat and some of the tips and tricks you had in there. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was. there's so many cool things that I've, <laughs> that I've learned from people throughout the way uh, once we started to get into more cinematics and not just gameplay stuff. And it really did start with some of that creature stuff, ironically, because we had to stage that in an interesting way. And um, yeah, I just, I just think it's so important, like, not and it's it's not only important because of the overall entertainment value, but you know if you're smart with your cameras and you shoot something in a way that's entertaining, you actually save yourself a lot of animating, time, <laughs> yeah. which I think is always good, right? I mean, especially when you're dealing with large scale cinematics, like when you can find places to to save time and, and focus quality on a on a on a smaller portion of the larger picture. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's huge. Yeah. Even even on small stuff, on like small events, small animations, you know, small takedowns, the camera could be a key to help get your animation uh, done on time, or even sell sell that mm-hmm. moment, that action, even better. So, camera's not just for cinematics, you know. Okay, well, here's my question then: How much 
as an animator, particularly for games, do you have control with the camera? Is it just in cinematics, or do you actually have it in game as well? Since the you, since the player is also somewhat controlling the camera, or does it depend upon what game type you're using? I think you're right. Yeah, I think it does depend on the the genre and specifically the title itself that you're using, uh, or sorry, working on. But um, I mean, yeah, obviously in cinematics, it's it's so key and it's so important. And then in gameplay, there are times, and you know. There's like in-game cinematics. There's there's moments that you want to sell, reveals, you know, uh, things that you can do with the camera to guide a player. And on top of that, you know, even if you don't necessarily have direct control of the camera in the given sequence, there's a you know you have a pretty good understanding based on what game you're working on of how that camera impacts what your the camera in the game is going to impact what you see from the gameplay perspective. So for an example, like uh, recently one of my last projects. Uh, before coming back to where I am now was uh, the Company of Heroes 2 game. And that being an RTS, you don't have a lot of control over the camera, but you understand where the camera is. So we had really great tools in the art package to put the camera at the point where we would see it from game. And there's so much legibility that you have to concentrate on because you don't have control of the camera. It changes the way you animate the gameplay stuff itself. So even when you're not controlling it, um, being mindful of it is massive. What's an RTS? Uh, real-time strategy. So you're okay. generally a lot higher up. Um, you're commanding squads rather than individuals. And the character space on screen is a lot smaller. You know, you've got vehicles and you've got heavy weapons and you've got all these different elements and all these, you know, squads of, of characters that you're controlling. Um, and what's legible, you know, close up or from a third-person camera is not legible at an RTS camera level. So there's a lot of things you have to consider and, and challenges that it presents. So, um, How do you animate yeah. differently for something, a game like that? Do you, do you uh, like for theater, for example, they would exaggerate motions because they their audience would be much further versus television or film where the camera can get right up there. Do you exaggerate moves so that it's more legible or how does that work for you? Yeah, exactly. But you can't, I mean, it's, it's, it's picking spots like... Um, you know, you really want to like, you know, if we're honest, like in games, for the most part, you know, save for sports games and, and stuff like this, really your your big hook is is, you know, a victory, which is usually, you know, you taking out another player with some sort of weapon or hand to hand combat. So the best payoff is always the attack and the response to the attack. So for something like an RTS, you might spend a lot more and, and really dramatize a weapon firing Um or you might pick, you know, something with a lot of moving components. Like there, there were certain weapons in those games where there was a lot of moving parts. Like you've got a loader who's who's loading giant shells into the into this weapon, and you've got like six or seven moving components on the barrel or on the on the base of that gun. And so that's where you you know the guy opening the the firing door or pulling the latch that that pushes back the mechanism to load the shell, like you'd really hype up that animation. And then deaths, you know, deaths were really, when I first started playing the game, when I got there, I was like, I can't tell when the guys are dying. We need to make sure, <laughs> need to make sure like when they're hurt, we know they're still moving, but they look like they're hurt. And when they're dead, they're just, they're dead so that we don't waste resources. Cause in a, in a real time strategy game, resources are so important. So, you know, it really is uh, so important to be a game developer first in those situations. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard yeah. I've heard Rick preach that one. Game developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you still like 
like you know in games it's it's you know it's like we deal we deal with a lot of cameras you know we you know it's not like we just deal with the the character animation it gets in game we you know we animate either to camera like for if you know we we mimic the camera so we can see how it would look in game before we put it in game or we put it straight into game and see how it looks with the camera and there's times that we literally animate the camera and we export that into the engine so game animators are like any any other animators still needs to learn about cameras and learn how it affects uh, the player as much as it affects the audience so you know we we deal with cameras but just in more other uh, more different ways than than most animators would now do you talk yeah, about so. that in your your class brett yeah i think yeah definitely like that's something we we cover that quite a bit and actually have evolved that camera lecture quite a bit because it's just there's just so many interesting things to bring up with it. It's it's really like the relationship reverses, right? Like you use the camera to stage your action, and then you know in some moves you're actually staging the action to match the camera, and so it's it's just it's just kind of a flip on that relationship, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we talk about it a lot. One of the things that I've gotten into a lot le- recently, just I have so much fun kind of messing around with cameras, is like taking old moves and reshooting them to get a different feel out of them. is is super awesome. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of that in the class. Like we'll take, you know, I took a couple of my old Turok moves and we kind of load them up. One thing I love in the iAnimate classroom is like just kicking in some Maya and just kind of, you know, working right in package while we're in class. Like that's, that's, cool. that's a lot of fun, like doing the instructor <laughs> kind of demos. So there was one, uh, this last workshop, we, we load up one of my, uh, there's like a, it's like a prototype animation that never made the second game. Uh, where the player jumps out of a tree and like attacks this four-legged sort of dino creature from above, and uh, there's a—I mean—that move is on my reel, but I reshot it and made it just feel like a hundred times more intense, uh, just like in the class, like within that within that hour space. It was—it's tons of fun. So that's awesome. Uh, Before you get to the next question, because um, I I watch uh, some of Brent's stuff, it's really cool that he. Maybe Brent, you. Uh, I'm sorry, Brett. I keep saying Brent because uh, I was there with are him. Brent uh, and Brett's in our organization. I, it's, yeah, this <laughs> is bad. This is bad. But, um, uh, <laughs> Brett, you, maybe you don't notice, but it's like uh, he integrates his camera work and his workflow. It's like his cam. Like when I animate, like you know, takedowns. I say, you know, it's depending on the animation. I animate the camera with with my. Work. It's part of my workflow, and I see. I notice that it's like it's almost seamless. It's like he. When I watch his, his videos, it's like he's doing it. He's you know he's putting cameras in. He's talking about it. And he's doing his animation, but without real, realizing he's always like two steps ahead what he wants to do with his camera. And I think that's really cool to see um, his workflow and how he's able to to show that to students and you know share that that method of animating. So I just want to say that was pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Yes, it's it's fun. It's like. And, you know, when I go through that stuff, sometimes you just make discoveries while you go, too, which is really cool. Like, that's what I love about that. It's almost like, you know, what's funny is, like, I even started, this might sound really crazy, but, like, I sometimes run, like, a Camtasia or, like, some kind of screen casting software while I'm working. I actually find it, like, almost therapeutic to almost talk to myself while I'm doing it. <laughs> it's like this weird thing that happened after I started doing these lectures. I I, I think it's, it's it, it you, you find things when you're, you know... When you're doing it that way, um, like the last couple times I was doing these camera things, I realized like, you, you know, I actually can, you know, I don't recommend people animate by animating the camera from the viewport. 
you know, like, because it, it, you get all kinds of these really weird translations and the camera moves just look really unnatural. But there's nothing that says you can't start by blocking it in that way and then replace that with a camera that's animated in a more proper sense. So I've started finding little workflows myself that I may have not used before that I'm now using more often. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's great. It's like discovery. <laughs> And that was one of the things I noticed from that Pixel lecture that you did was just talking about the camera and it being natural. It wasn't just something that – I forget exactly what it was, but you're like, a normal camera wouldn't do this. you know. And I think oftentimes mm. because of the computer, we don't take some of that stuff in consideration when it's dealing with a camera too. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the big problem. You come in when you don't really have a base or, or, a, or a firm understanding. Like you understand a camera has a lens and it has a couple of parts that obviously work. But when you come in there and you have this like open – you know, three axes of space you can just go bananas in. It's, it's, it's sometimes hard to hold back a little bit, right? And it's like, but you have to because it's, it's, it's that, you know, it's when people look at things and they're like, well, that has like a cinematic or like a filmic quality to it. It's because you, in movies, you know, they're mostly shot with the same 10 lenses, like, or nine or 10 lenses, like over and over and over again. So, you know, certain lenses, lenses lend themselves well to certain shots. And so the reason you think something looks cinematic is not just because it has like a grain on the film or like, you know, it's, it's shot in a certain ratio or resolution. It's, it's really about how that lens looks. And even if you don't know cameras, you can pick it out because your eye is just used to, if you've watched any number of movies, you're seeing that, <laughs> that relationship all the way through. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are you working on now? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, so I got this really great opportunity that came up. Um, I'm back at Electronic Arts uh, Canada in Burnaby, and I'm working on the Frostbite engine. Um, it's it's a super it's a super cool kind of like lab job in a sense. Like we are working on the game engine, and uh, you know, for me as an animator, I'm working on you know building like example content. Uh, building workflows, building tools and pipelines that make everybody who develops for Frostbite have a better relationship with the tools that they work with. Mm. Um, what's so cool about it is just the games that are like, it's like, you know, the battlefields, uh, need for speed is on that. Um, there's like, there's a lot of games that will be coming out on it. It's just, it's like a really amazing piece of tech. Um, and it produces super, super high quality, top notch games. And it's a chance for me to get a little bit more technical, which is something I've kind of, I didn't realize, but I kind of was, was, was looking for a little bit. Some of those workflows is, are, are those workflows are what you're teaching as well to the students or you're using in your demos or. Yeah. I mean, I can, I'm obviously short of the actual tools themselves. There's a lot of things that are just the same stuff that I practice when I'm animating that goes into consideration of creating those tools. Like what it's not like it's I've been in a, I've been in a position with the last several jobs where it's like, look, these are the tools we've got and some of them are good and some of them may not be, but we have a project to deliver on. So whatever works to get this thing in is what we need to do. And wherever we could, we would try to like, if we developed something that was new, we would try to make sure that it got integrated into a tool set. But a lot of times it was just like, you know, we need to get this cinematic done. What can we do with this camera here? And and kind of where I'm at now is like from based on the kind of workflows and situations that I am in when I'm animating, like what's the optimal way to do this thing? 
like not like let's just solve it for this particular project but like can we find ways to solve these problems that like propagate through teams and live on and get built upon rather than rather than just solve a problem stopgap which is which is a cool cool opportunity yeah we actually had our last podcast with uh, Simon Unger and he was mentioning that the, the kind of that same difference where uh, he's had projects where he's kind of got in maybe halfway through and he's having to accommodate based upon what they have. Whereas now the company he's working for, he's hitting it more from the ground up and he's able to solve a lot of those issues that he knows are going to be problems later on. And so that kind of sounds like that's what you're able to do here a little bit with this Frostbite engine is taking a lot of what you've – knowledge that you accumulated over the years on troubleshooting and now kind of building an engine to kind of help – solve some of those issues. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, they, they have a lot of great tech already there. So a lot of it is like just harnessing good tech and, and making it usable, I guess, is more like it, right? Like from an animator's perspective, it, it, it's, it's exactly that, uh, Larry, what you said there. It's, it's basically being able to look at it from a completely different side and, and try to serve bigger needs longer term is, is definitely it. So yeah. Now, with the same team, you mentioned that you went over to Europe for a bit. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, well, actually, I, I logged a ton of miles. I actually had a vacation before it, which was super awesome. So I was, I flew down to like the Dominican Republic and then back to Vancouver and then over to Stockholm, Sweden. Um, and, it, you know, th the thing, like one thing that's totally not lost on me, like I've been doing this for like a, a pretty long time. But one thing that is never lost on me is that like there's – places like so basically we were at dice for a, for a week and uh for those who don't know dice is the developer behind uh battlefield uh four and three and bad company and several other great titles but um like i remember you know years back being like dude it would be awesome to go work at dice like i would give anything to go work at dice <laughs> You know what I mean? And I walked in the doors and I was like, wow, I'm at Dice. Like, I, I'm, you know, I, I can't believe I'm standing here. Like, it's just nothing. Like, I'm just here because I'm supposed to come here. And That's it's like, cool. no, I'm at, I'm at Dice, you know? And it was, uh, the people there were super cool. And, like, as a developer community, that studio is pretty amazing. I mean, there's, like, a massive wealth of experience there. All the animators there were super cool, super hospitable. We went out and had a good time. And, and Stockholm itself is just a, a really incredible city. So, uh, yeah, that was that was super cool. So, now, what were you doing there? Yeah, so they um, – the Frostbite engine was originally developed at DICE, uh, and that's where it came from. Uh, it was basically born out of necessity to build a game like a battlefield. Uh, so pretty much the lion's share of the, the super solid developer experience with the engine is there. So what they do is every year they basically host a like a conference for all the people developing with the engine to kind of meet up and share and you know people that because they're all we're, they're all over the world there's studios in various number of places uh, and you just don't necessarily get a chance to go see all those people all the time so they bring them kind of all together to share workshop you know essentially like any like if you go to a SeaGraph or something and there's mm. there's classes and workshops and breakouts and, and meetings and just general fun, which is also kind of good. But that's, that's in essence what it is. It's just, it's just a way of pooling the knowledge base for a short period of time together to maybe see if people can pick up off each other. 
<clears throat> I yeah, I said I was was going to say um because uh, uh Brett has uh so much pull that we should probably get uh, some free copies of Frostbite. <laughs> 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 no, actually, it's it's funny though. Like we were, I was actually talking with Rick about this before about maybe starting to plant the seeds of maybe some sort of presentation that we could do uh, sometime, hopefully in the coming year uh, to expose a little bit of that stuff. And it seems like there's a, there's kind of an interest in that from the EA side. So oh, we'll cool. see what we get together. Yeah. It'd be really cool. Yeah. You see, that's, that's how we roll. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, you know, a lot of people, like when I first met uh, Brett, I was really impressed. Uh, I mean, obviously he's, you know, super talented, super smart, and and he has a lot to share. And one thing I want to know is, like, what are some of the things you like to teach or you, you find um, students uh, need to learn if they want to become successful and, you know, getting into the game industry? Yeah, I, I talk a lot about, like, um, <clears throat> one thing that I feel super strongly about is, like, you almost like if you put it in terms of, like, a standard college, when you go to a college, you take a major and a minor. Right. Um, and in the atmosphere of the industry, you know, back in the day, it was like you had to be a generalist at everything. And then things started to shift back towards where everybody had to be very narrowly focused on one discipline in order to add the kind of value that a team needed. And I don't know that it's come back completely the other way, but I just feel it's so important that people develop a secondary or tertiary or whatever skill set that supports what they do in animation because it's like you know not you don't want to spread yourself too thin but you definitely want to be good at something and then kind of maybe not as good at something else but to to bring a focus into something else like design uh is all for an animator design's a great place to get involved because it's it's so key to the uh the utilization of the art that you create so an understanding of design is massive. Um, maybe an understanding of scripting, an understanding of like some other form of art uh, or engineering, or even just like uh, marketing and salesmanship in yourself. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, there's I, I feel really strongly that there's everything that you're doing is essentially a sales pitch in some way, shape, or form. And so, the more comfortable you get with being able to sell an idea. You know, whether it's to a, an animation director or or to a department head or to a studio head or to God knows what else beyond that, it's it's important. So and and even just in the relationships you're, you, that you develop with the people that you work with every day, you're kind of selling in a sense. And I think it's so important to just find, you know, a couple of other things that you do really well, because that's really to me the key to like true success is just being somebody who can step up in another area when help's needed. So that to me is really big. Yeah, yeah. Like I, uh, I know this. Uh, I sounds like I'm gonna repeat myself, but I always say it's really important to be valuable. And um, mm-hmm. I want, and I, and I tell this to everyone. You know, our, our students or or students I meet, um, invest in yourself. Don't just like it's great and like we love animation. You know, we're we're. we're it's 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 uh it's an amazing job. It's amazing uh, form of expression, but um you know it's really important. And I see there's a a trend that you know our industry is is evolving and things are changing a little bit. And I tell tell them as soon as they need to uh, invest in themselves, like 
great you 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 become a really great at animation but you should pick up rigging and and um you know motion capture i mean like motion capture is everywhere and we talked about that in past podcasts i mean if you think of can you think of one movie that did not use motion capture part of the pipeline so i'm like these are things you want to pick up and um and design i thought it was a it was a it was a great comment like it's true when we we model a character or we you know before even it gets to modeling we want to make sure it's designed a certain way so it it benefits us and and i wanted to see get your thought on how important that was if you want to become successful or or you want to you know have some self growth well, yeah absolutely and kind of just like yeah, you, you know, mentioned with uh, Cameron, that yeah. that clip there that you mentioned that he used a little mail. And I know even from uh, Richard Lico's uh, lecture that he did at the Pixel Challenge there, uh, he, he brought in some of the kind of scripting. And it wasn't even that big. It was just kind of even um, making hotkeys from what he had done. And so it just seems like if any way you can kind of help your skill set, that was the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're either going to get really fast or – Maybe someday someone's like, "Hey, we need someone to write some mail script. Who does it? Well, I I can do it." And you know, and it's not to you know, it's not to look at it in in this light, but when when decisions get made, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know a few of us have been in that situation where you're in the room when they're trying to make decisions about what they're going to do with people, whether they're moving people up, moving people out. You know, those are the kind of things that really make the big difference. But like, it's like exactly what Rick said. It's value added. You know what I mean? Like you you want to be able to. Um, you want to you want to have more than one application, and it's it's uh, you know it's funny because actually last night in the lecture that we were doing, uh, one of the students from my from my block this time uh, had mentioned you know I asked him I'm like you know you're you sent you seem like a pretty technical guy and like how did you get started in Mel, and he's like well you know I'm still not great at it but I always go talk to engineers or scripters to come help me, and there's there's more you know that's great to help and, and build that skill but now you're like you know. It's not to general engineers, but you know sometimes they're not the most social people. Like I'm, I've definitely met ones that are, but animators are generally more social. And if you start reaching out to them and they're trying to help you with Mel, like, you know, I worked with a, an engineer once who wanted to help us with our animation pipelines, and he learned Maya. And I was like, you know, like I would go to, I would do anything for that guy whenever he needed help because I was like, this guy is trying to walk in our shoes a little bit. And I think more than just learning Mel, he's also trying to walk in some shoes. Uh, and when those people see that, they're so they're impressed by that. They want to help you. You just start building. It's like you're building community, mm-hmm. and that's so huge. Like the when push comes to shove, and somebody needs help, and you're there to help, and and you've already kind of extended, you know, all of branches in these places. It's just so beneficial. And you can solve problems. Like when I think and I see someone that has a lot of value, is someone I also look at they can solve problems. Like I can rely on, or I can like, hey. You know, I need your help or there's a problem and they're the type of person I could solve it, you know, like regardless the challenge it is, they're the type of people that because they're always looking to learn and build themselves. They're the type of people say I can solve this and I'm going to learn from it. So I I like people that that, you know, want they don't need to be amazing at everything just, you know, but it's good to have that extra skill set in something or even two skill sets. I think, yeah, I think that's a that's an awesome point. All right, talking about the industry, what what do you enjoy most about working in the games arena? Well, you know, just the diversity of the people that you work so closely with. Like, I mean, I think, I mean, I've always had so much respect for really great film animators, but anybody that I've really known who worked in film had a, seems to me to have had a more limited, uh, you know, 
span of people that they interact with on a on a regular basis, like a, like on a daily basis, let's say. Uh, and I think that's probably the thing that I like the most about it is is the you know talking with engineers and just the quirky personalities that you get, like the <laughs> range of people that you work with every day, from like crazy animators to like really you know really focused and and almost to the point of precious about art kind of like character artists and, and concept artists and then you know scripters and riggers and producers and all these different people that you're interacting with on on such a regular basis that that's the one thing i really i really dig um i really like the the the, the fast gratification like i love so much to uh, my favorite thing when animating in development is like when you're prototyping a feature that to me is just so much fun. Like, you know, your, your first passive animations isn't top quality, but you're, you're trying ideas and you're, and you're throwing them and you're trying them and you're testing them and you're tuning them and going back and forth between, you know, art package engine, uh, you know, tagging and, and time scaling and bringing it back. And just that, that iteration loop is awesome. And that's, that's what started to get me more interested in, in a bit more of a technical side of things was just that, because it's, I had so much fun in that area. That's that's probably my favorite uh, my favorite two things about development. But now, I think it's the problem solving because at this point, I'm like, you know, most of what I'm dealing with is 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 problem solving, not just like pushing content into something, but like, hey, this doesn't work. How can we go around it? And that the the uh, the process of of solving those things is is a ton of fun. What kind of games do you most enjoy working on? Um. Yes, yeah, interesting because I've tried just about everything in development. Like <laughs> we did combat, uh, we did shooters, sports. Um, I, you know, they all had kind of a, a different element to them. Like um, I would say, like straight up, probably combat, like a like a hand to hand combat game for me is probably the thing I would like to do the most. I just like the combo systems and counters and. Um, that toe-to-toe kind of I'm more interested in kind of like maybe not like necessarily in an arena but the idea of like an arena fight like a like a shorter gameplay session with just you know lots of combat um but you know I was really surprised at how much I started to to get into the RTS when we were working on the company heroes too like just the strategy element of that was really appealing um and I can see why people lose so many hours of their lives to that. Like, it's just it's super, <laughs> super addicting, right? So uh, I understand why that, why that happens. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely something with combat would probably be my, my first pick if I had the choice. Okay. Now, what about starting a new generation of cycles for systems here? What are you looking forward most with this next gen? Just straight up good gameplay i mean it's to me that that's always kind of going to be the same thing like that that loop that that makes something fun to play you can skin it a hundred different ways you can skin it you know with you know kind of stylized simple art or something really beautiful like what you're seeing in like you know the battlefields now and and um to me it's it's just the same kind of core same kind of core uh gameplay loops that I've always kind of dug and it's it's more about like um what I'm I think from a technical perspective I'm most excited to see is just the amount of stuff that's going to be moving now like 
when I, I remember I had a conversation with a, a couple people where it's like, what do, you, what do you think, like, before everything was kind of really pushing out the door in terms of the Gen 4 stuff, was like, what's going to be the next thing? And I'm like, I guess just, like, a lot more bones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, more, you know, take those bones and spend them wherever. And and I feel like uh, that, you know, that the, the inevitability of moving more to vertex-based uh, facial animation systems like that's that's so close you know like it feels like it's right there um so i want to you know a, a part of me just wants to see the graphical leaps but uh, but the but the game player just wants to kind of the same experiences tightened up i mean I, I really love games like uh naughty dog games straight up like uh last of us to me is i, I love games that just kind of like take I guess the best way to describe it, like, you remember that, that one scene in, in Last of Us where you enter that room and, like, the snare catches you and you're hanging from the ceiling while the zombies are coming at you and you're, mm-hmm. you're basically, it's basically the same, like, pop-up shooter level that you've seen a million times, but it's done in a more creative way. Like, that, you're hanging upside down and all of a sudden it's like a new experience. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I love stuff like that where you can, you can take a simple design and just make it creative new. with it. Make it, make it new and make it creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's I love that stuff. Right on. Mm-hmm. Extracurricular activities. You got any extracurricular yeah. activities you enjoy doing? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, Teach. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> that was the first thing I was gonna say. <laughs> no, I, I do. I actually, you know, I I know it sounds like maybe this was like a planned answer, but I really do enjoy the teaching stuff. Like I love. I love like talking about animation. I like the connection that it provides me to it. And, and I really enjoy, uh, you know, when I hear myself saying things, I'm like, I better keep doing that. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <what do> you, <laughs> it's almost like you're, you're writing checks with your mouth and now you got to cash them. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's great. This, like, huh? Exactly. Like you got to leave, you got to follow the example and you got to, you got to set an example and, and, and do a good job in that regard. But it, like, aside from that, you know, I got I got a wife and a son. My son's like, well, he's nine and a half now, which seems kind of crazy. But um, so I spend you know a ton of time when I'm not you know working, which is a lot of time. And then when I'm not teaching, uh, me and my son we we go ski a little bit. Um, you know, taking him to his stuff that he does, like his swimming. He's you know he's into violin and you know these things I never would have thought he would be into, but he's into. And I love going to see that stuff and basketball um uh squash like active stuff is key right i mean we sit for a really <laughs> ridiculously long amount of time <laughs> and the more i can get out and run and that's one of the really great things about ea is like you know the facilities are incredible like today we had we we played like floor hockey at lunch like that's pretty incredible like mm. <laughs> you could just do that at lunch and then just get back to work you know so <laughs> Uh, I want to move a lot. I want to keep make sure my my joints don't become limited in their amount of rotation. <laughs> so, yeah, to be able to relate to our animators, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rick, you got anything, bud? I want um, my my oldest son is only four, and like he hasn't yeah. been exposed to any of the work I've done. But I want what does your son think about you know your work, your animations? Like, what does he say when you show it? Yeah, it's funny. You know, there's this funny story. So we used to watch these things. They're called minuscule. They're like these crazy little oh, short yeah, yeah. with the bugs and stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That stuff is awesome. And it's awesome. like it's like 
it's like live action plates shot with like these cool little animated bugs, like spiders and like flies. And, and they give them these personalities. Like the flies are like these motorcycle gang dudes. So when they fly, it's like, they sound like, they sound like they're, uh, they're like a gang of motorcycle thugs or whatever. And then they've got these dragonflies that are, that are like helicopters and be- dung beetles and, and spider. Oh, it's, it, they're so cool. Like you can, you can find them on YouTube. They're amazing. And when he was like, he, yeah, I think he was your son's age, Rick. He was like four and a half going on five. And I would watch him watch that stuff and just laugh like hearty gut laughs when you watch that stuff. So I was like, you know what, man, I want to make something. I want to see if I could do a thing that would make him laugh. So I did this, like, it's, it's not by any means like a visually stunning masterpiece, but I did this little flash sequence because um, I wanted to learn how to, you know, properly 2D animate and, and figure out some things like more on the traditional side. So I made this little film about a fish and a shark. And uh, it's to- it's totally like that super physical, like, you know, comedy, like a like a Three Stooges type of thing, you know, that 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 primal level of humor that would make kids laugh. Well, he laughed when he saw it, which was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. kind of like my birthday present for him. Um, <laughs> and he laughed and I showed it again and he laughed and I was like, yeah, it was like by far the most satisfied I've been from making a thing. But uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because um, he doesn't play like a ton of games. Like he's all over the plants versus zombies stuff. Like mm. he just, he just can't put that stuff down, but <laughs> yeah. he hasn't really, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to like keep it balanced, like not like, hey, my dad, you know, works in games, so we play games like all the time. It's like we we have our little battles in NHL, and we have our, you nice. know, we we have yeah. the, the, you know, we that's mostly where we battle is like in like the sports games and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, man, the, the, the shooters and stuff. Like, I want him to kind of like ease into some of that stuff. And yeah. <laughs> he, sometimes you know he sometimes comes in when I'm teaching and he just like sits real quiet and like watches the screen. He kind of like hides from the camera and just like watches <laughs> what's going on on the screen. Or if you watched one of my lectures, he drops my toothbrush in the toilet. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I remember that. Dude, it was so funny. He comes <laughs> into my lesson and he's like, yeah, dad. I'm like, oh, buddy, you know, we're, we're live here. Like, what's up? He's like, just wanted to tell you, accidentally dropped your toothbrush in the toilet. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk about it after. Hey, at least he told you before, right? Before you exactly, you... right? Yeah, <laughs> that's you don't enough. want to find that out the hard way. But yeah, he he's he thinks it's he thinks it's cool, but it's like yeah, it doesn't register. I don't think it's really registering to him like it's some kind of big violent thing seeing these like creature kills and stuff like that. But he's pretty intrigued by it. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get the to minuscule. Um, we gotta give uh, get the the link to okay. one of, uh, the the flies and then the the beetle one. Oh, so. It's it's so funny, man. There's like one where the dung beetle's pushing his little ball. Uh, there's like the spider ones where they're. It's, dude, it's all just it, physical stuff. Like there's one where like a ladybug is taunting the flies on a garbage can. He's like dan 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 dan. He like flies off and they chase him and. They go through this. The spider keeps trying to spin a web. Every time he gets it done, boom! They go through it. Like, oh. Yeah, it it'll, be our, it'll, be, it'll be our Christmas gift to, to the audience. All right, yeah, it's really, it's really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Super. Yeah, man. Well, Brett, we do again appreciate your time joining us. This will probably be our our final podcast for 2013, and so yeah, we really do appreciate being able to go out with a bang here. No, it was a lot of fun, man. Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, if you get time off, enjoy it. 
and then we'll Thanks. we'll be seeing everyone next year. That's right. Absolutely. The new block, man. January is the new block. All right. Get in there to get on on this stuff. It's good. Yeah.